whenever an app is being considered right now, it's still a retention tool. And as such, with any retention tool, it, it, the time to value is a lot shorter if you are a more mature merchant. Some of the signs that I look for in order to see if this is going to be an exciting brand to work with is someone, a merchant that's doing north of four or five million at a minimum. Um, I want a brand that's seeing about a 25, uh, sorry, 20% return in customer rate. And ideally either uh, a, a deep product catalog or replenishable goods. That was Ash from Tapcart. And there's a reason this episode is called Mobile Apps Convince Me. With most episodes of the pod, I get into conversations with guests around a wider topic. Like Paul from Jewel, we covered all things brand advocacy. And when I spoke to Jack from WebGains, we got into the world of affiliate marketing. With this one, most brands that we bump into don't have a mobile app. So I didn't want to make the show around the tactics or strategies of how to get the most out of a mobile app. We kind of go back to basics. And I give Ash permission, really, to pitch me as to when and why brands should be thinking of a mobile app. When it's a fit, how to think about giving customers a reason to download it, and what success looks like. And then we get into the process of, actually, if this is of interest, how do you get an app live into the app stores? If, after listening to this pod, you'd like to carry on this conversation with Ash, press the link in the show notes, as you'll benefit from an exclusive offer we've secured just for you. And before we get into the show, a thank you to our friends over at Bloomreach and Verse. You'll learn more about what they do and how they can help you grow the right way later in the episode. But now it's time to get into it. Enjoy this conversation with Ash from Tapcart on all things mobile apps. Enjoy. Growing a business can be an absolute nightmare. One minute you're flying high, Next, feels like the wheels are coming off. It's thrilling, scary, it's unpredictable, and whether you're a startup or you're turning over 100 million plus, growth is really, really easy to get wrong. So we've made The Right Way to Grow podcast. It's a podcast with hosts and guests who've seen growth firsthand. They can spot the pitfalls and the opportunities, and they're gonna share their ideas and their experiences with you. If you're a growing business, want to grow a business, or having trouble growing your business, the right way to grow is the one place to come to find out how to get growing by getting all your foundations working perfectly together. So if you're currently listening to hundreds of different podcasts to try and find the nuggets and hidden gems, we're about to save you a ton of time. Every month, we'll do deep dives into big questions around growth with some very special guests. And every week, we'll fill you in on the latest hot developments in the world of e-commerce and growth because obviously all that stuff changes every single week. So if you want to grow the right way, all you've got to do now is hit the subscribe button so you never miss an episode. Ash, thank you so much for joining us on the Right Way to Grow podcast. Before we get into all things mobile commerce, can you give a quick introduction to who you are, maybe a whistle-stop tour of your career and what you do specifically over at Tapcart? Yeah, I would be happy to. Thank you so much for having me. This is uh, definitely something I've been really looking forward to. So honored to be on the podcast. Um, so a little bit of background. I started my e-commerce career out here in Toronto at a full digital agency called DMAC Media. It later got bought out uh, and became Bounteous 
funny enough. Um, during that time, that's where I got exposed to a bunch of different platforms, and I clearly uh, made the conscious decision of uh, recognizing that Shopify is a better choice, generally speaking, in my opinion. Um, that's why I moved over to Shopify after that. Um, I served as a merchant success manager for just uh, about a year and seven months or so at a bunch of uh, different merchants I was learning from. Uh, during that time, I ended up asking them, hey, what are some of the tools that you really, really like that's made an impact? And that's how I first got introduced to TapCards from actually Adam at uh, Unif Clothing. Um, didn't know what the heck TapCard is. Didn't know what the heck mobile commerce is. But I started to ask some questions. I got on a call with the CEO at the time and uh, recognized the value there. And soon afterwards, they, uh, they, they put out a thing for me to come join the team. And I joined them as a partnership manager. So currently, I manage the relationship with Shopify and agencies on the East Coast. Before we sort of jump into the conversation, I want to learn from you more about mobile commerce and specifically like how mobile apps can play and act as a big tool in the retention space. Could you just high level, give me a quick shameless plug of what Tapcart is and what it does just to set some <laughs> scenes here. Yeah, for sure. Um, what we do at Tapcart is we turn pretty much any Shopify store. doesn't matter if we're talking about online 1.0, 2.0, headless, any Shopify store into a native mobile app within a matter of weeks. This means all your products, categories, accounts are pulling in one-to-one. And the way TapCart actually uh, ties into your Shopify ecosystem is through a mobile SDK. It shows up as a sales channel. And uh, that's what we do. What was it around TapCart and mobile commerce that made you make the leap? Like you were in Shopify, which from my understanding, from an outsider looking in, is growing very aggressively, great guns, like mm -hmm. it is swallowing the market right now. Taking that move or moving out of that ecosystem into another business is a pretty big leap to make. What was mm -hmm. it that you saw in specifically Tapcart that made you have the confidence to take the leap? This was an opportunity for me to get into partnerships, which is something that I think fits so well into my personal, um, I guess, characteristics and what, what motivates me and what drives me and what gives me energy. Um, at the same time, when I was looking at where the industry is going and what tools will be continuing to be valuable, uh, particularly as merchants continue to grow and the fact that Shopify is looking for more enterprise merchants, it just seemed very clear to me that retention and mobile are going to be key um, drivers of success for merchants. As a result, this seemed like a fantastic uh, in-between like for me to join mobile commerce and be able to manage that um, and continue to grow my network of uh, highly uh, strategic uh, Shopify guides, You know, uh, whether it's agencies, whether it's merchant success managers, it's a fantastic community to kind of get um, tied into. What will be really helpful for the listeners of the show is a bit of scene setting around when a mobile app is a fit and mm -hmm. when, it is, when it isn't a fit. Because I think there's 
a risk that people think a mobile app is always the right tool. And I believe mm. that's that's not the case. And what you've taught me is as well is it's not the case. Give me the mm -hmm. ground rules of when you think actually if you're if you look and feel like this as a DC brand, you should explore this. Whereas mm -hmm. for these sort of categories and products, it's not a fit. Honestly, I think we're at an interesting position, right? Like what I think is the right signs for mobile commerce today is very likely going to be different in a year and a half to two years because everyone is growing and changing in the ways they like to go about shopping. So what I mean by that is um, then it's almost like the same thing that we experienced when people were getting into shopping online versus going to the retail. You're like, when, when would anyone ever buy furniture online? It seemed like a foreign concept, yeah. right? And now people are buying it left, right, and center. Similarly with mobile apps, like it was one of those things that's like the, for the biggest brands that actually have like a massive social following. And now you're like, granted like a hundred percent that is the case. If we take a look at hundred million dollar plus Shopify merchants, um, about two thirds of them have an app. I'm not saying they have an app with Tapcore, but I'm just saying they have an app. Mm -hmm. Um, if you look from 25 million to 100, uh, the, the ratio flips. It ends up being uh, one third. What I would deem appropriate for a merchant is, look, whenever an app is being considered right now, it's still a retention tool. And as such, with any retention tool, it, it, the time to value is a lot shorter if you are a more mature merchant. Some of the signs that I look for in order to see if this is going to be an exciting brand to work with is someone, a merchant that's doing north of four or five million at a minimum. Um, I want a brand that's seeing about a 25, uh, sorry, 20% returning customer rate. And ideally either uh, a, a deep product catalog or replenishable goods. These are generally the broad strokes of what I'm looking for. Are there people that fall as an exception to the rule? A hundred percent. But this is typically what I look for. This episode of The Right Way to Grow is brought to you in partnership with our friends over at Verse. Verse specialize in composable commerce. And if you're like me, you've heard this term composable and headless banded about quite a bit. So I went to Verse and said, do me a favor, simplify exactly what composable commerce means because I'd love to introduce it onto the pod. Here's what they wrote back. Composable commerce is like crafting with Lego blocks where you get to pick and piece together various elements to form something entirely one of a kind. In the world of composable commerce, it's akin to assembling a personalized toolkit of technologies and seamlessly merging them to shape your unique online store. Think of it as constructing a digital masterpiece with Lego-like components that perfectly fit your store's needs. Now we know Composable isn't a fit for everyone, but it might be a fit for you. And to find out if Composable Commerce is a fit for you, our friends over at Verse are offering listeners of this pod a completely free mini Composable Commerce audit. To grab that audit, simply head to verse.co.uk forward slash TGF. That URL again, that's verse.co.uk forward slash TGF for the Growth Foundation. Or you can simply press the link in the show notes. 
to learn if Composable is a fit for your e-commerce journey and the right way to grow. One thing that I want to try and unpack for people that are considering this app is what should or what could success look like? When someone goes into this experience, what are they actually trying to achieve with having a mobile app compared to investing that and that time, resource, energy into a different channel as an example? That's a great question. Um, what success would look like is that the unit economics start to look a lot more favorable and your accounting team would be way more excited about your future growth, right? Because the, the, the key is for the past, I don't know, I would put it like five, six years, there's been um, a drive to have growth at any cost. You can go after the shiny new customer. You could go and acquire them. And even if it, that happened at a, at a loss, it was not necessarily even a loss, but the whole issue was that the cost of acquisition was low, right? And the cost of acquiring everything else was low. But over the past like year and a half, every single cost that you could account for has increased substantially. And a lot of different businesses have seen drastic uh, decline in their profitability, right? Um, the fact is that majority of merchants, after their first purchase, they lose that shiny new customer. They go right between their fingers within 90 days, and you're not going to see that person shopping from you again. And that's the biggest freaking question, right? So for an app, we talked about briefly a moment ago why, uh, when an app makes sense, and that the majority of like big uh, merchants on Shopify currently do have an app. But the thing to also consider is that for these merchants, the thing that really makes sense is for you to increase your lifetime value so that when you're taking a look at that golden ratio of your cost of acquisition versus LTV, the kind of people that would want to invest in your business would be happy to. That's the, that's the ticket, right? Like cost of acquiring, cost of uh, borrowing money is, is through the roof. Um, cost of acquisition has increased, and now you have to go through all these different channels. You, you can barely take a look at attribution. If you're getting these customers, the key to mobile commerce that needs to be established for your brand to see success is you're going to treat your returning customers differently. You're going to make them feel special. Yeah, that's a really interesting point in terms of how does an app experience or how could an app experience be differentiated from just a normal web experience? Have you got any examples of how brands are using that that ecosystem differently, like you say, to make it feel more of a, rather than just a sales channel, more of a exclusive club? Like, Have you got any exactly. things you can bring to life? Yeah, so look, I, when we say that, there's like, points of caution that are raised in a, in a merchant's mind and points of excitement, right? The points of excitement would be like, yes, 100%. When you're getting a returning customer come to uh, your app, you are going to give them um, first access or earlier notifications. So imagine I've bought three different pairs of shoes from you. I've nearly spent $1,000. Now, I have that pair of shoes that I really, really want from you, but they're constantly uh, out of stock. In your opinion, should I, the person that has purchased from you three times, mm. 
get that notification of back in stock as the same time as Joe, who just came to your store for the very first freaking time? No, that's reward loyalty all the time. Right? So, like, this is the beauty of that because you get, for instance, the VVIP experience coming uh, in Black Friday, Cyber Monday. Why not get your best customers to purchase from you a couple of weeks in advance with the same promo that you were planning on going live with across your entire site? But now it's earlier access for these folks, right? Um, Ruggable, for instance, uh, they do like 20% discount. That's the only place you're going to be able to get a 20% discount. So for them, seeing the massive brand that they are and like everyone already knows about Ruggable, it might actually work as an acquisition channel as well because for my first time purchase, I'll do that. But transparently, I don't think that's going to happen most of the time for mm-hmm. everyday brands. Um, but yeah, exclusivity is key. So product drops for limited invent- limited inventory kind of uh, brands, earlier access, um, gift for purchase, all sorts of things of that nature give, them, give the buyer enough reason to not only download the app in the first place, but keep the app there, right? From a content place, one thing that I'm always considering is I'm bumping into more brands now that are, I guess, starting to realize invest in content because the likes of TikTok, TikTok shop, there's there's a whole different uh, host of different reasons why every brand is forcing themselves to think more like content first as an acquisition channel, really investing into that. Is there an opportunity rather than thinking of it just like a sales channel and drops to feet like from an exclusivity perspective, does content play into that? Does it work within like the Tapcart framework? Like how can you add more than just early access and I guess promotional uh, activity within the channel? Is there anything else you can do outside of that? A hundred percent. So content is a fantastic means of getting people to come back more and more to your site and learn, right? That's why if we take a look at um, if we take a look at the types of brands that we, the types of brands that we do really well with, some of them include baby brands where you're educating uh, parents about hey you're expecting a child this is what you're going to do in the first couple of months this is what you're going to do in the six months after this is going what you're going to do a year and a half so on and so forth you're educating them through that entire process you have your blog your push notifications have uh, direct direct links that send you over to the blog to learn something more. And then at the end of that blog, you can make that blog uh, purchasable, right? Um, So it's definitely a really good opportunity for you to leverage content to, and, and push notifications to push them to educate themselves on your product and your continuous or growing product line. I'll be honest. I didn't think of it that way. I think I probably think I thought of it too simplistically, which was, do I have to put content within the app? But to your point, we have this, we have this new channel now called push notifications, uh, and you can just deep embed a link inside the push notifications. So it might not actually be taking them within real estate within the app. You could just use the app push notification feature to then drive to something else like a piece of content on your website. Uh, that is, uh, yeah, that's an interesting way. Let me talk to you about push notifications because candidly and openly speaking we've done some business and a lot of the things that are like signals to me is when i bump into a brand and they're spending really high five figures on sms i'm like have you considered replacing sms with push notifications talk to me about how push notifications are are used by best-in-class brands 100 percent. i think when it comes to push and like 
a mobile app in general is going to, one of the measures that we use to, to evaluate the level of success that you're going to have by our second call, we do like a analysis of what the ROI would look like for, for, our, for the brands. And within that, we have certain measures. So we expect a boost in conversion rate of about 40%. We expect about a 21% increase in AOV. In terms of frequency of visits, we expect that to be 2 to 3x at a minimum, right? Why is that? Well, a big part of it is a push notifications aspect of it. But the other part that's like not talked about as much is the real estate. The fact that you bought some real estate on that person's phone. Now, when I want a t-shirt, my likelihood of searching Google to find t-shirts of a certain kind versus I have True Classic on my phone, it's way more likely for me to just directly skip a bunch of steps and go to True Classics and print purchase, right? Because I have that, I have that convenience, I have that ease. Now, Laren push notifications on top of that, you're 100% right, because push notifications end up being free, unlimited, and content-rich, you can certainly replace a portion of your SMS with it. Would I say I'm going to stop all SMS? That's a no. I think it's the same thing. Like You really got to focus in on um, leveraging Clavio and get a better sense of what does Ash like to be communicated, communicated with, you know? And what does Mike want to, how do, how do they like to be communicated with? So something that we do see a lot of our brands do well is you replace a portion of the SMS funding that you had or ad spend that you had, and you're reducing um, sending SMS messages to returning customers because you could leverage push instead of that. But you, you could potentially take that SMS budget and double down on acquisition now. Because your LTV has gone up, but you might even be tempted to increase more spend on acquiring. There's this question that I, I guess, bump into a few times across our brands, which is having the app is one thing. Getting the users into the app is another. What's the strategy that you've seen brands use once you've activated them with your, with your platform? How do you then help onboard and help them get their users into the app so they actually start to see the value? That's a good question. So what we have is we've actually recently changed our our whole model to uh, move towards a performance-based pricing. And as a result, we've really aligned ourselves with our merchants. As you grow, we grow. We have uh, an incentive to see you succeed with this channel. As a result, we've even uh, initiated something called uh, best practice discounting. So we normally have, uh, you know, a portion, same thing as Shopify. You have a platform fee and a percentage of the sales that go through Tapcar. So what we have done is we have have a list of 10 to 12 items um, that you could do to increase uh, usage of the app. So, for instance, the kind of things that we, we want to see is um, a QR code on your site. So when you come on desktop, you could see the QR code, you could scan it. If you're getting um, your regular welcome series, you have a, a you have like a link that allows you to download the app. Um, we have a banner that shows up on the top of the screen. If you're using a mobile device, you can click on the banner and immediately go down and download the app. But the key things, other than that, is like you need to provide that exclusivity from the get go, right? 
some brands have gone as far as giving um, ridiculous prices, like paid vacations, as long as you, you have a chance to win that. If you make a purchase prior to such and such date, you have claims within your even uh, the Apple page where you could download the app stating what are the benefits of being on the app, um, exclusive access, so on and so forth, exclusive content. We talked about content a moment ago. Some of our supplement brands, for instance, have a bunch of different videos um, that show you how to do various different workouts or learn more about the products that are only available in the app. So you really just got to have that messaging down of how am I going to make you feel special and get those folks to download the app. And once you have them on the app, that's it. Like going forward, rarely do we ever find people deleting apps. And normally, if we see 5 to 15% of your uh, email audience, email uh, subscribers download the app, that's, that's going to be a wildly successful app. We have certain brands that have, uh, like LSKD, who do a lot of exclusivity within the app. They're aiming for around 50%, which is massive. But we don't need to see a large proportion of your audience going on the app even 20%, that's going to be your, the cream of the crop. This episode of the podcast was brought to you in partnership with our friends over at Bloomreach. Bloomreach empowers businesses to deliver personalized experiences across their digital channels by combining the power of unified customer and product data with the speed and scale of AI optimization. Bloomreach ensures the right product is put in front of the right customer at the right time. When I learned about this, I said, hey, have you got some examples so I can bring it to life on the podcast? And they said, we can do one better. There's a whole use case library with everything from how to retain customers' time on site with similar and co-viewed products, increasing AOV by showing customers their last viewed items at checkout, through to how to personalize offers based on customer preferences and contextual personalization. To see how Bloomreach can support your e-commerce strategy, from SMS reminders to personalized product recommendations, simply press the link in the show notes and you'll be taken over to the Bloomreach use case library, where there's 77 use cases that will show you how to use Bloomreach to grow the right way. There's a bunch of questions that I actually rounded up from the team here. And I was like, what are the current myths that we kind of like bump into when brands think about apps? One of them is the support. So there's one thing, actually, this is anecdotally from my side. In my previous life, I built a couple of native mobile apps. And it, and it was incredibly painful for me and the team and very expensive with our development team to, to keep that app maintained. And I know this is you talking your own book and talking your own shop, but I know that one of the concerns that I bump into with brands is having the app is one thing. What, what, what happens when iOS change their rules, what happens when there's a Shopify update. Could you just outline what Tapcar actually does as a, I guess, an app player and where the responsibility sits with the brand and what they need to do and then what you take care of? Yeah, so that's actually a fantastic question to go over in terms of what our process looks like, right? So let's say uh, we have a strategic guide, whether it's like a merchant success manager or an agency of record or someone who's interested in like, taking a look at what an app could do for them, right? We hop on a 30-minute discovery call. 
by the second call, we do a full mock-up of the app for that merchant, right? Using their images, using their products, using their categories. Um, and then we come up with a ROI report showing them the incremental gains that they expect. When we go through our launch process, we do everything ourselves, right? So we have designers come up with the designs for the app. You have multiple different iterations until we get it right. There, We do our own uh, front-end experience, right? All we're pulling from Shopify is your back-end, right? So your products, your categories, your account page is one-to-one. You don't have to lift a finger. What we will also connect for you is other integrations, depending on what you require, right? So if you need Klaviyo to be set up, which we highly, strongly recommend, um, that's that we do all the flows, we, do, we, we set that up for you. If you have other things like recharge, you want to do in-app subscription management or state.ai or SKIO, whatever it happens to be, uh, we're happy to do that for you as well. In the first two weeks, normally it takes two weeks, maybe three weeks for us to set up the app. What we need from a merchant is seven and a half to 10 hours to be able to go through that process. We onboard you, we train you, we show you how everything is. Post that, you continue to have a merchant success manager that for the first uh, three months or so, uh, we recommend hopping on a call a little bit more regularly, but you could get on monthly, quarterly calls, whatever you prefer. We continue to support you with, hey, here are the strategies that are working for other uh, merchants in your vertical. We saw a lot of success over here. You might want to implement this. You might want to change your push notifications to that. Those are the level of services that we provide in terms of a strategic guide. When it comes to version updating and all that stuff, it's happened seamlessly. That's the beauty about Tapcart in particular. When you are taking a look at the app ecosystem on Shopify, at this point, I think there's about 7,000 different apps. There is a select few that are certified Shopify Plus apps, and you have to go through rigorous tests. They need to take a look at reviews. You also need to go over your coding and make sure that it meets a certain threshold, particularly if you're going to be managing major clients like Fashion Nova, you know, uh, True Classics, uh, Princess Polly, during uh, Black Friday, Cyber Monday, you need to be able to have that stuff to stop. Um, And then the other thing is about, I would say, like a fraction of a percentage of the 7,000 apps that exist within Shopify has Shopify directly invested in. We're one of those apps, right? And these are part of the fact like we take care of a lot of this stuff smoothly and you don't even have to lift a finger. So you're 100% right. If you're taking a look at um, the earlier comment that I made about uh, $100 million plus brands, about uh, two-thirds of them are currently using apps. A large portion of them are still on custom apps. I think what we're going to see is the move to SaaS the same way we saw it with uh, website uh, website platforms. We're going to see that in the mobile space because it's just too much for you to be able to manage it and maintain it. Yeah, versioning integrations seems, well, I know firsthand experience from my, my work previously, absolute headache to try and manage and very costly. Uh, I'm just glancing over to my notes. Uh, one of the guys in the trading team was asking, 
for people that don't know some of the work that we do here, we actually help not just strategic, but we help brands execute on trading day to day. So merchandising the store and making sure everything is in place to increase on-site conversion. And one of the questions was, is what's the real estate? What are the assets that I now need to make rather than just making, and let me just speak very simplistically, banners for a website. Do I now need to then reproduce everything? How, how does that work in terms of what's the, I guess, the creative needs of populating the app? So all you would need to do in that kind of scenario, let's say your team has created uh, a lot of different banners for the mobile web experience, you would just need to send us over those uh, assets and we'll even take care of it for you. As long as we have it 72 hours in advance, our team is here and the same designers that helped you put together the app will continue to help you manage the app going forward. So 100% that could be taken care of. But the caution that I would put as a whole is... I personally disagree with making both channels have the same exact experience. If I'm a returning customer and versus, you know, someone who is a first time customer, we want two different experiences. So if Adam's going through the site for the very first time, you probably wouldn't mind you giving me a little bit more background about, hey, where are the founders? Why did they find this, this brand in the first place? What's the ethos behind it? What other products do you have? Give me a little bit more of a feel for the brand before I end up checking out. So sometimes you see the number of clicks that gets you checkout being like 10, 13, excessively. Sometimes you see it going as high as 16 different clicks. If I'm a returning customer, I know I want that V-neck in white and I want it now. Like, Don't drag me through a category listing page. Don't drag me through another 11 clicks. Why can't you get me there in two, right? I'm on my mobile. I'm going to get distracted by an SMS. I'm going to get distracted by a phone call or a Slack message. Let me get in and out as quickly as possible so we get one more sale for you that, that, that day, right? So that's the part where I actually feel like a mobile app should be like a shortcut approach, you know, like a faster experience. Like, the fact that we have a 40% uh, increase in lip, uh, in conversion rate is not just because we're faster and we're built for iOS or Android. It's the fact that we're also reducing the number of friction points. What's the stuff that I haven't asked you yet that we should have covered off to give people the full experience of um, how to think about mobile commerce? Like, What are the questions that I haven't tabled that I should have? You've covered a lot of the things that I would just generally go over. I think there's a few different things that come to mind for merchants. Like, honestly, being an MSM previously and seeing merchants go through the decision-making process, even if you have a need, you know you have a need, and you're like, you you know something's going to be valuable for you, more often than not, merchants are don't have a big team and... Um, People are reluctant to try on new things because they're, they're they think it's going to require so much more uptime, so much more upkeep. It's way more complicated than people tell you because everyone says, "Oh yeah, it's a one-click integration." And then when you do it's a bunch of different products, you're like, "Oh no, this was a nightmare." Legitimately, I think one of the reasons why um, I chose to come to Tapcart where I am is because of the discovery process and the onboarding. Um, but beyond that. When it comes to managing this channel, if you are, I, I genuinely do feel like it's not going to require more than three hours of your, your time every week. 
what function, what team member, what who is looking after this experience as what you've seen in other companies right now? So this would be the same kind of person that would be managing a lot of like your final merchandising decisions. And then you're also thinking about your marketing team to a degree, right? So what you would need to do is you would need to figure out, okay, which particular uh merchandise do I want to showcase on the homepage? Which mer merchandise do I want to be up in front and center? Um, what is the push notifications that I want to set up? A lot of that is obviously already done through Klaviyo. We're not trying to make you do more work. You could still use the same campaign, same flows that you already have set up. Beyond that, you could do a lot of content-rich images that you set up through Tapcart directly as push notifications. So there is a degree of time that you need. I would ideally try to do at least three different push notifications a week. Just target them or, you know, try to give value, right? It's the same thing as any other channel. Beyond that is the merchandising. So three hours of time is plenty uh, for you to be able to do both and have a wildly successful app. You obviously leverage our team as well. So just, you know, 72 hours in advance, hey, these assets are going to go up. Like, honestly, everything is so easy that you could edit and change things yourself, but our team is here to help as well. Love it. Ash, I always enjoy spending time with you. If someone's listening to this right now, as you've probably picked up, we have an amazing partnership between the Growth Foundation and Tapcart. We have an exclusive offer for anyone listening if they want to engage this experience and follow that process that Ash has just laid out. Simply head over to the rightwaytogrow.co.uk, grab that offer. That will end up in Ash's inbox so you can carry on the conversation. Ash, thank you so much for your time today, as always, and look forward to speaking to you again soon. It's been a pleasure, my friend. Thank you so much for giving me the opportunity to be on the podcast. And uh, as always, looking forward to uh, increasing the relationship and the partnership with uh, the Growth Foundation and you all. As we wrap up today's episode, I want to say thank you for tuning in and I truly hope you enjoyed it. If you're new to the podcast, don't forget to hit that subscribe button so you get notified the next time we drop an episode. If there are any questions or follow-up topics you wish I got to with today's guest, please email me. It's adam at thegrowth.foundation. That's adam at thegrowth.foundation because I've told all guests I might follow up for a quick five, 10 minute follow-up show in case there's anything our audience wanted us to get to. Anything that we've covered in today's show, you can find as links in the show notes of the podcast, as well as links to our partners, Bloomreach and Verse. And lastly, if you haven't yet joined our newsletter, make sure you do. We've got something special planned for the end of season one, where we're taking 10 listeners of this podcast out for dinner as a little thank you for being a subscriber. Stay well, speak soon. I'll catch you next time on The Right Way to Grow.